So we're in this study called Follow Me, working our way through the Gospel of John. John is Jesus' best, closest friend, and he writes these things so that we would have the opportunity to see who Jesus is, his character, his personality. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1, open them up, turn them on, app. We use the NIV translation. Love for you to follow along with us. We've been working our way through John chapter 1. Now we're at finally at John chapter 2, looking at the character of Jesus. And what's really neat, as we've learned already, is that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who came to dwell among us full of God's grace and God's truth. So that the grace and truth that Jesus walks this earth with is the grace and truth of God himself. So to see and hear the grace and truth of Jesus is to see and hear the very heart and mind of God. We learned also that Jesus is the Lamb of God, sent to take away the sins of the world, that he comes to lay his life down like a lamb, but his character is Jesus is gentle, and he's patient. He's a lamb that will die and rise again, but he treats us with gentleness and patience. He invites us to come follow him. He doesn't force us to, he doesn't dominate or dictate. It's an invitation, come follow me, come follow me. And he's gentle and patient with all who take a step closer to him. Really cool. I love that he's gentle and patient. I think it's great. I really need it. But to be honest, I kind of need him to be more than just gentle and patient. Just being honest. It's kind of like this example. I kind of need a new quarterback. I'm a Giants fan. And (laughs) if we go out and get a new quarterback... What I don't want to see is, I don't want to see the press release for the new quarterback. We went throughout the league and all the colleges and found the gentlest, most patient quarterback we could find. Like, nobody wants that quarterback. You find out at your company that they're hiring a new boss, a new CEO. You find out they did this global search across the nation. They found this woman, incredible credentials. Her leading credential is that she is so gentle and patient. Just what you want, right? Or how about you go to the movies, you're one of those Marvel, Marvel freaks that like superhero movies, and they're inventing new superheroes all the time, and wait till you see this new movie, you gotta hear about it. It's about Lamb Man. He is so gentle and patient, he rescues the world with gentleness. Like, nobody wants a superhero that's gentle and patient. And I want a God who's gentle and patient, but not just gentle and patient. I want him to be powerful and strong. And so we find in John chapter 1 is Jesus is gentle and patient, but here in John chapter 2, we're going to see that he's really strong, really strong. But it may be the kind of strength you're not expecting. See, if I'm writing the script about Jesus being strong, if I'm sending my son into the world to be strength and power, I want him to come and end world hunger. I want him to come and end the injustice towards different races and different economics and different circumstances. I want him to come and end suffering for all humanity once and for all. But the power that Jesus exhibits may not be what you expect. Check it out, John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to this wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. They're at a wedding, no more wine. That's not a good wedding, right? Understand that weddings lasted for seven days in Jesus' culture. So you're tortured by your family at a wedding for five hours. Imagine seven days and there's no more wine. Like this is not a good scene. This is not a good scene at all. And everyone's partying and realize that the the people hosting the wedding, this couple, their job is to provide for everybody for this entire time and they run out of wine. And to run out of wine would be to bring shame on themselves. Like, you don't have enough cake at the wedding? People are gonna be like, what's the deal, cheapo? Like, what are you doing? And to run out of wine, it would be shameful for them to run out of wine. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there, and she notices they have no more wine, and she says to her 30-year-old son, Jesus, um, there's no more wine, which is mom talk for do something. Like, she doesn't come out and say do something. She just says, um, there's no more wine, Jesus. Do something. Verse 4, woman, he says to her, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. You see, realize we're just in chapter two of John's gospel. He's just been announced as, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He just invited his first fishermen to leave their nets and follow. He's just beginning to shift careers from carpenter to teacher, rabbi. And now she's saying, do something. And he's like, lady, my hour has not come yet. You see, not disrespectful to her. He's not being mean to her. He's trying to be realistic and saying, man, I have come for a purpose. Purpose that I'm here is going to take place three and a half years from now when I die on a cross to solve the greatest problem in all humanity, to rescue people from their sins. And that time has not yet come. Mom, I'm not ready yet. But Mary knew Jesus' heart. I love this. In verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. There's no more wine. My hour's not yet come, Mom. Give me a break. Do whatever he tells you to do. You see, Mary knew the heart of Jesus. She knew that he cared about people. She knew that he was resourceful. I don't think she had any idea what he was going to do. She just knew he could be trusted and that whatever he did in this moment would be good. So she says to the servants, do whatever he says. Verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine 
after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. I mean, you catch this, what's going on? No more wine at the party. The celebration is teetering on the edge of disaster. A young couple is about to be ashamed in front of their guests. And Jesus sees these large jugs and he's like, hey, fill those up with water. He never commands or says, let there be wine. Never does that. He just thinks it. And there is wine, 120 to 180 gallons of wine, and not just any wine. The master of the ceremony says he turned it into the best wine. A couple's getting married, they're having a party, they're surrounded by family and friends. What a great beginning, and it's right on the edge of shame. And Jesus steps up and makes 120 to 180 gallons of the best wine. Is that what you thought he would use his power to do? He's going to display his power the first time John's like, here he is. Is this what you'd think he would use his power to do? To help a young couple whose marriage ceremony, their feast is teetering on the edge of shame? Give this couple joy? But that's what he always does. When he shows up, this is what he does. He uses his power to replace shame with joy. This is the character of Jesus, the, the personality, who he is. By turning water into wine, he removed the shame from the bride and groom. And very few people knew who did this. All they did was have a great glass of Merlot. A couple people got to see it and understand. I mean, he made 120 to 180 gallons of wine. I mean, do you think that's a lot of wine? How much can you drink? And it's on the last day, probably. And it's this much wine? Why this much wine? Because whenever he shows up, he pushes away shame and he makes things joyful, not just a little bit of joy, not skimpy cheap, a little bit. It's like abundant, crazy amounts of joy. That's what Jesus does. That's why he came to this world, to bring this kind of abundant joy. And I want you to see the result of this, what's happened as a result. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. John wants us to know. He writes these things down so that we would believe in him. And he knows that this is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who is gentle and patient but also powerful and that has come to remove our sin and shame. And then three and a half years, he's going to die and rise again to bring the most amount of joy and replace the most amount of shame by dying on the cross. This little example of giving joy to this couple, to these people, his disciples got to see it. You know that group that said, he said to them, come follow me. And they just went to this wedding and it's just beginning. They had already chosen to take one step closer to Jesus and now they see his power. And the text says his glory is revealed. They begin to see, their eyes start to see and they believe. 
you know, maybe better understood, they step one step closer to Jesus and they believe a little bit more that day because they saw those jugs that were water and now they tasted this good wine and they believe this has got to be more than just a good moral teacher. This is someone special, someone significant. And that's what Jesus is inviting all of us into. I mean, what he did 2,000 years ago is what he's doing still today, inviting us to take one step closer to him, one step closer. He's patient and gentle and powerful, but he never uses his power to overwhelm us. Every example in the scriptures of Jesus doing a miracle, it was to build faith. Every miracle, power display was to build faith, to authenticate who he was, to put on display, not to wow people with a megaphone or big power displays, but instead these small signs, quiet signs that only a couple would see and know that would build their faith and would grow their faith in every time. He does the display of power. It's an invitation to take one step closer and follow him. And he wants to do the same thing for you today. He could use skywriting to get your attention. He could use a megaphone and shout from the heavens. He could do some massive power display to grab you. But instead, he does these little miracles, little signs that point to him to show us who he is and what he's like so that we would experience him, see him, know him. Now, I know some of you think, well, I don't really believe in miracles. I believe in science. And yeah, I'm curious about Jesus, but this is why I don't believe in Jesus, because you tell these fairy tales about water to wine, and I believe in science, and that's not possible, so I check out at this moment. And you know, to be honest, I believe in science too, and I don't have a grid. My mind is blown by water to wine, from water to Merlot. I mean, all of that is mind-blowing. It's hard to get your mind around So how do we understand these miracles? This really smart guy named Ravi Zacharias, I would encourage you, if you're intellectual and you want to understand science and rational thinking and faith, how they all come together, Google Ravi Zacharias. But he tells a story that helps me to understand the miracles of Jesus. It's a story about a guy who goes fishing. So there's one guy fishing and one guy watching the guy fishing. One guy's over here watching fishermen. Fisherman goes out and starts to fish, throws the line in, catches a really big fish, takes the big fish and throws it back in the water, catches another little fish, takes the little fish, puts it in his bag, throws out his line, catches a big fish, throws the big fish back in, throws out the line, catches a little fish, puts it in his bag. Big fish goes back in, little fish goes in the bag. And this happens over and over. And the guy watching goes, what's the deal? He approaches the fisherman and says, What's the deal, bub? Like, why are you throwing the big fish away and keeping the little ones? And the guy's like, oh, I'll explain this. It's very simple. I only have an eight-inch frying pan. (laughs) I just have this small frying pan. And so the big fishes, they're no use to me. I take the little ones. You know, each one of us was born with a really tiny frying pan. God knows that about you and me. This brain that all of us have, it's a tiny frying pan. And we start out in our lives with a very small frying pan and he is gentle and patient and knows 
He knows us and knows, hey, listen, if I give you something big, your frying pan can't handle it. So I'm going to give you little tiny signs, little tiny miracles, miracles like a sunrise, miracles like oxygen you breathe and you give out carbon dioxide, which makes plants grow. I'm gonna give you little tiny signs like the sun rises every day and it's beautiful and sets every day and it's beautiful. I'm gonna give you little tiny things like twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder. And you're gonna see these little signs. My design is for you to see these little design, these little power displays and connect the dots that you're loved. That there's a creator And your little frying pan is gonna get a little bit bigger when you connect the dots between what you see and who I am. Because he knows that if he gave you some big miracle, you would just toss it out. You'd say, my frying pan ain't big enough for that. My science ain't big enough for that. And you just toss it out. But instead he's gentle, just little things that drop into your life that you might call happenstance. You bumped into someone who treated you with kindness, just an accident, serendipitous. You backed into someone and they didn't get angry with you but treated you with grace and kindness. God's love towards you. You see a sunrise and it actually grabs your attention and you stop and you connect the dots. Maybe there is a God. You see a baby, baby one, (laughs) haphazard. Baby two, haphazard, that's how I do it. Baby three, haphazard. You might stop one day and actually look at a baby and go, oh my God, you made this. And that little opening, that little moment of what if, maybe your real God is him putting a fish into your frying pan. It'll start to grow your frying pan. If you want a bigger frying pan, take one step closer to Jesus. Because he's in the business of expanding, but he's not going to do it with large displays of power. He's going to do it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. He's not going to do it with sheer force. He's not going to intimidate you. He's not going to do it with a megaphone. He wonders if you're out there listening and you're willing to connect the dots between the things he gives, the small little signs and miracles and power. He wants you to know he's here and he's strong and he loves you and he cares and he wants to expand your frying pan, but are you connecting the dots? Jesus records another display of power here in verses 13 to 22, which once again is not what we would expect. His first display of power is changing water to wine, and now Jesus goes on a road trip up to Jerusalem, the capital city. It's their national greatest holiday called Passover. It's the time they celebrate that God rescued his people from slavery. Jesus gets up to the temple and he looks around. The temple's the place where God wants to gather and meet with his people to praise him. The place where people are to hear from God and learn from God and praise God. And Jesus gets up there and he sees that the temple, his father's house, is corrupt and full of greed full of people exploiting others, and it ticks Jesus off because it's become so self-centered and greedy that he makes a whip and he drives people out of his father's house because it's become so self-centered and greedy and corrupt. 
And the God squad, the religious establishment, is frustrated by Jesus doing this. So they say in verse 18, what sign can you show to prove your authority to do this? Like, what's up, dude? You don't walk into God's house and treat it this way. Jesus answered in verse 19. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he had raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. See, religious people corrupt, make religion about greed, self-centeredness, there's abuse, scandal, debauchery, and Jesus sees this and it, it bothers him. So he uses his power in this situation to overturn religion and display grace and truth. I think this is one of the primary reasons he comes to planet Earth. If you wanna know why Jesus came to Earth, it's to come from the Father full of grace and truth. And he sees in the temple, there's no grace. There's no truth. It isn't what I intended. It's not what God wants. And it frustrates him. He knows it misrepresents God. And so he uses his power to flip the tables over on religion. You see, he's constantly from then till now turning the table over on religion because religion is not going to lead you to a relationship with God the Father. No denomination or baptism or catechism or tradition. Those things are often so corrupt by human greed, human self-centeredness. And Jesus is like, no, the real deal is this. I have come from God the Father with grace and truth. Look at me. Don't look at all the trappings of this temple, these religious outpouring or outworkings. No, I have come to bring grace and truth to the world. And look at the result. It's very similar to the earlier scene in verse 23. He says, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, and he did this, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. These displays of power. First water to wine, now he goes in, turns the table over on everything. This display of power isn't what you would expect him to do. It wasn't what you'd think, well, if I was going to script him to do it, this is how he would do it. No, it's a little bit different, and in many ways, if you take these two scenes, water to wine, a temple that's corrupt, and you look at what Jesus does with his power, he uses his power, and he's trying to show us that the old is gone, and the new has come. I mean, this is the God of the universe. He wants us to know, the people then and now and people in the future, that he's always doing something new. Something new in us, something new in this world. You can't box him in. Always the same things, no. A new day is always dawning. The sun is always rising. Darkness is fading away. Light is here. Jesus uses his power to usher in new things in our lives and in our world. He wants to show us new grace and new truth for us today. He was doing it then, he's still doing it today. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you walked in here and you never thought about Jesus before, 
whether you've been following Jesus forever, this is the character of God. The old is gone, the new has come. The character of Christ is that he wants to remove your sin and shame and replace it with abundant joy, gallons and gallons and gallons of joy. He wants you to know that religion will not lead you to forgiveness and peace. Tradition will not lead you to God's grace and God's truth. Only a relationship with Jesus, only to God the Father through Christ his Son can we be forgiven and understand real grace and real truth. The old way is fearing God's wrath and being afraid that he might smite you. The new way is realizing, no, he's patient and gentle. He's gracious and knows that most days I take two steps forward and 30 back. One step forward, seven back. He understands that about us and says, just take one step closer to me and watch what I do. I can expand your frying pan to understand that my power is greater and this is just the simple application that's helped me. It's a conversation I have when I'm thinking right with God this basic prayer, God, open my eyes to see. You are powerful. You are patient. You are gentle. You are truthful. You're gracious. So many times I don't see it because I don't want to see it or I don't choose to see it or because I'm stubborn or I have my head buried in my own reality. Lift up my eyes, God, to see in small ways the miracles that are happening all around me. For every miracle that I notice is a sign that points to you. And every miracle display of your power I see expands my frying pan. So the next sign or miracle I'll be able to handle and see and it'll draw me one step closer to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So whether you have never put your trust in Jesus, never asked him to forgive your sins, ask him, show me this week, I wanna see Jesus. Ask him to show you Jesus and watch what happens. But if you've been following Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, it's this same prayer. God, show me little miracles. Show me your power. Put on display your grace. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you're like, dude, I got a big frying pan. Okay, your frying pan's 24 inches? Do you think God's not bigger than that? So if he's expanded your heart and mind to see his power and grace in larger ways, man, the guy wants to drop a whale on you. But if you're just going, nah, I'm good with a 24-inch fish, You'll miss it. What an incredible opportunity we have to humble ourselves before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and say, show me your power. Show me your grace. Show me your truth. Help me to see Jesus, the gentle, patient, gracious, truthful Savior of the world. And wherever you are on that journey, he'll just say, okay, just take one step closer. I'll expand your heart and your mind just one step closer. Pray with me. Incredible to know that you're patient with us. Wherever we are in our journey, you're gracious towards us. You know that we stumble and fall. You know that we doubt. You know that 
will choose science over faith. You know that some of us are more simple and some of us are more logical. You know all these things about us and you invite each person to just take one step closer. And when we come close, we just experience more gentleness, more patience, more power. And all of your gentleness and all of your patience and all of your power is intended to show us more of Jesus, that we would trust him, obey him, honor him, rejoice with him. Please, God, our frying pans are small. Make them bigger. I pray this in Christ's strong name. Amen.